0: You've entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh.
1: Happy holidays and welcome to another exciting episode of 1111 Talk Radio. I am Simran And we are going to be talking about love, that many-splendored thing, although sometimes it might not feel that way. Creating enduring love is always a work in progress, requiring mastery of many skills and an abundance of self-knowledge forged in forgiveness, acceptance, and celebration. My guest today is author Linda Carroll, and she's written the book, Love Cycles, The Five Essential Stages of Lasting Love. This book provides a roadmap to the mysterious, difficult, and wondrous journey of wholehearted love. It offers a framework following love's path, combining insight into the latest research on the physiology and psychology of love with practical techniques for managing conflicts and developing greater intimacy. As I moved through this book and was reading the beautiful way that she takes you through not only the philosophies and the different steps and stages of love, but also the journey of Charlie and Megan and how they move through some of the obstacles that love can sometimes spring up. It really struck me that this is a book that every person needs to read, and particularly a book that we can give our young people as they begin their paths to love in the many relationships or the one relationship that they may end up having. So, without further ado, and to dive right into the conversation of love cycles, I'd like to welcome Linda Carroll to Eleven Eleven Talk Radio. Welcome, Linda.
2: Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about the conversation. I love to it's talk really about this.
1: Uh, Well, you know, you really have filled this with so much information and such a simple, easy way to look at ourselves and discover where we need to go in terms of truly having the relationship of our lives. And it really does begin with self, even though it looks like the other person. It really ends up beginning with self and returning to self, don't you think?
2: I absolutely think it, it does including how we choose who we choose because not everybody can take this journey of five stages you know some people are great in the merge in the romantic phase but they actually don't have the the I say I say sort of offhandedly the chips but I don't mean that Um, in a literal way, but there are people that really don't have the characteristics that can follow through on a relationship. They can just do what feels good. So even in the beginning, it's important that we know ourselves enough to know whether our attraction takes us to somebody who's a good candidate for a relationship or somebody who is going to be a disaster. And a lot of people don't know that. They just keep playing the same thing over and over again and love with the unavailable person. So that's where it starts. It starts with knowing ourselves well enough to know who the kind of person we're attracted to. For some of us, when we're attracted to someone, we should run the other way. So it starts long before the relationship really is committed. It starts at the very beginning when I notice the kind of people I love.
1: Well, I love how you begin the book, because you talk about love not merely being an emotion, but a practice, a daily ritual that we undertake. So talk a little bit about that when you say it's a practice.
2: Well, in the, in the first part of it, when we're when we are in what I call the merge, that I think most of us know by now that's mediated by hormones and chemicals, and that everything comes easy, but when it stops, when we stop, being enchanted when those chemicals wear off and we're just a human being imperfect with another imperfect person we have to then start to stretch we ha- it's like you get a view of enlightenment at the beginning and then you but you don't stay up there then you go back to your life and, you know, you have trouble at work and um, you, your neighbor bothers you and all those things that start to happen and we start to feel those the magic disappear is how people relate to it and everything from work to love. And that's where we have to start to create from ourselves the the practices and the skills that, that get us back to that wonderful place, that place which was a, a possibility of how it could be, but we don't get it for free. So an example of a skill would be um that we don't that we d- that we know enough to know that we're not going to stay in romance forever and when our partner starts to when we start to feel disappointed to understand that this is just normal life this is not something bad and we have to work with our own self and how we manage disappointment so I think we have to do that in everything but certainly in our love relationships You know, it's very easy to be patient when someone is bringing, they just have to show up in your life. You feel joy and you can be endlessly patient. But then when you're living with another person and they drop their stuff all over or they do things that irritate you. My husband just said to me this morning, we've been at this for 35 years. Could you leave this light off in the bathroom? It's making me crazy. I mean, those are the kinds (laughs) of human things that happen
1: 35
2: years over and over. And that's where the practice comes in.
1: Oh, definitely. And, you know, in, even in my own, um, I, I wrote a book called Your Journey to Love, and it's really more about self-love and how to cultivate that. But you wrote two things that I kind of touch on in my book as well, and that is these two ingrained ideas that we start off with about love, and in your case you talk about two ingrained ideas about committed relationships. Could you talk about first those two ideas so well, that we know kind of where our foundations come from?
2: The, the, what the two ideas are about? Um, well, I'd love to know that we what kind you of come about, in
1: with. I'm sorry, what? That we kind of come in with, or that we have 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 usurped along the way, consciously or unconsciously. Well,
2: one of them is that love is 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 natural. I mean, that being in this state is natural, and we have this idea that that the when we fall in love, that that is the way that it's meant to be. That and when you think about that expression, falling in love. We don't have to do anything to make it happen. We just are walking along one day and we fall. To actually learn how to love is a whole different journey. That's not falling. That is intentionally creating the skills and the self-awareness to be able to be in love, to stay in love. Um, so so what, what are you, what's the third one that you had that's different than what I had?
1: Um, actually, they were very much the same, and it moved into another part uh, where you also talk about as well, where human beings possess two distinct and opposing instincts: to desire to merge with another, and the need to remain individual. And how both of those are vital. And in in my own book, I talk about how you know when it comes to self love, we we have this unconscious intention of wanting to be so special that we're not like anyone else, and yet we also have this intention that we want to be just like everyone else so that we can be loved. And so they were kind of parallel in how how you know we approached yeah. our own paths, but there is something about staying individual because so many people, particularly women, can get lost in a relationship when they fall in love and they completely lose a sense of themselves. So I'd like you to go a little deeper into those uh, two distinct and opposing instincts. Okay, I w- I will.
2: You know, I-, I don't know if any if you know Esther Perel's work. It's amazing. She's got TED talks, and she talks about how the erotic life is yearns for somebody who is different than us, but how domestic life is really based on the idea that we know our partner well and that we think we know everything about them, and yet there's nothing more sexy than seeing your partner giving a speech or in their grown-up clothes instead of their sweats going out into the world and being competent. We fall in love with an individual who's separate, and then we merge mm. And as you're right, women, mostly women, love this more than anything. And so we want to be in the merge. And when we're in the merge, we don't see our partner as a separate person. We see our partner as part of us, and they see us as part of them. And pretty soon we become so familiar, we lose that sense of individuality. And I see couples who have, you know, pretty good relationships but they are so sexually dead. They've lost that erotic feel for each other because they no longer see each other as a person to surprise them. They've lost their individuality. And we, when we when we first fall in love with another person, it's as though we become a part of them, just like the way a newborn baby is a part of their mother. It's, it's that wonderful, delicious, yummy merge. I found my other half. That's the kind of thing people say. And if you find your other half, you're not whole. So what happens is in that sense of finding our other half, we start to lose our sense of self. And I can remember one day saying to my husband, stop saying we all the time when we're with people. It's not we. And he sort of looked at me bewilderedly, and we, we talk about that a lot in our classes and laugh about that moment because it, we really had lost ourselves like we were mm-hmm. one person. We're not, and the journey for us all. Regardless of whether we're with somebody, we're not. Whatever our story is, is that we have to find what our who are who are true, what our true nature is. I mean, that's the journey of life. I believe, is just is self discovery, and we start to lose ourselves in our story, our family, our conditioning, and then when we fall in love, we lose more more of ourselves because it feels so good to be all connected, but a, a wholehearted love. Which is what the point of all this is in, in love cycles is where you're, you are not half of a person. You're a whole person and the other person is whole and you're not part of each other. You are your own self. There's a place where you come together that kind of creates a third self, but it's not half of me and half of you. It's all of me and all of you. That's differentiation. When I have, when I can be a part, I, I had a woman once say to me in a session recently, I'm really worried because my husband was gone for four days and I didn't miss him. I got to see, I saw my girlfriends, I did all kinds of things that I really love doing. Is the marriage in trouble? I said, no, you're starting to become whole. That's a good sign. You know, if you didn't want him to come back, that'd be another problem. But it's okay. You don't have to miss somebody when they're gone for just a few days That because you have a whole self too. So this the merging, as good as it feels, is seductive, it's tricky, it's an imposter, it, because we want the yummy feelings, that we're not so alone in this world, that there's somebody that is always there, always has our back, always understands us, which is what it can feel like at first. But, of course, there is nobody who always understands us or who
1: has our back all the time. It just doesn't what do you happen make like think that. About- you make me think about that movie, Jerry Maguire, where he says, you complete me. So that really means Jerry's got some work to do. <laughs> I mean, Jerry has some work to do, but that's the feeling we have at the beginning, isn't it?
2: Because it's sort of like we have a, I mean, I think of this in sort of a, a way that has a kind of a magical component to it, which is we get a free glimpse of what is possible at the beginning. We get mm. that free glimpse, and then we have to work for it. So we get it for, you know, the the chemicals last maybe three years the first time that we fall in love. And often our first love doesn't last long, which is why sometimes people yearn for that first love, because they it got interrupted while they were still in the middle of all those chemicals and yummy feelings, and they want to go back to the feelings, not actually the other person, um, but that that's right that sense of you complete me is is very different from wholehearted from wholehearted is I'm just, i i love our life together and i feel i feel so i feel very joined with you in a life but i have to complete myself no one can complete me nothing can complete me you know it's sort of for some people when they have babies they look at those babies and say now i'm whole but the babies grow right. up and they leave and they move to germany and they have a different life you know, and, and, or across country or whatever, but our kids are not there to complete us and we all know what messes that can make when we have parents that feel that way. It's the same with a love partner. You're not there to complete me, that's my work, but you are, can certainly be here to, you know, to, to support me. And I think this is not a popular idea
0: <laughs> for many
2: people, but I think for, for, at least for me, I've been in a long-term marriage and part of that has been the really hard parts. The ways we don't, we are not alike. Learning how to navigate that is some of the work that's completed me on my path. I think of it as my spiritual path, but not always my spiritual delight.
1: I love that you touched on Harville Hendricks and Helen Hunt's research, which goes, they are the creators of the model relationship therapy. And you are writing here about... Um, The nature's anesthesia, the merges that part that numbs us to the knowledge that we are falling in love with an incompatible person. And according to Hendricks and Hunt, every person carries an imago or an inner image combined traits of our primary caregivers. A lot of people don't realize that we oftentimes do end up with the very parent or parents that we have certain triggers or issues with and that that partner is there to help us heal, those old childhood wounds and put us back in touch with them. Talk a little bit about how important our willingness to to recognize that is, and in, in our perceptions and our our look at the partner that we're with.
2: I will. When I read Hendrix, I I just thought this is brilliant, and became an amago therapist. Um, I, I excuse me, just Sorry. For that cough. I'm just getting over cold. cold. Um, the we fall in love with what's familiar. Amago means familiar love, but we don't consciously, of course, fall in love with the parts of the other person that remind us of the the hardest part of of important people in our childhood. You know, it can be parents, it can be a sibling, it can be what it is that that we struggled with, that we need to overcome in ourselves. So, so for example. Um, I know a couple that I've been working with where the the man actually had an older brother, 18 months older, who was always usurping him in everything. He was the adored son, the prince. He was always faster, better. And the trouble with that kind of age age difference is that they are always they called the boys like they're the same age and size, but they're not. One is always ahead developmentally, and so he had a whole feeling that he was unnoticed, that he was invisible, that his brother did everything faster and quicker, and he married a woman who is the most competent person. She's won every prize for athletics in her particular mm-hmm. thing that, that that she's into. He's into it, too, but he's not as good, and they work in the same place, and she is. she just got a huge promotion, which is why they came to see me, and he was feeling, it was so mad, it was unfair, and he didn't have any connection to his brother and how that affected him growing up. He just knew he was really mad with his wife. He felt betrayed. And as I began to uncover the history, it was... It, by and I have lots of kind of skills that I... or techniques I use to help people. I mean, you can't just usually say to a person directly, oh, what was it that was a childhood wound for you? Because most of us, unless we've done a lot of work, can't get there. And he he said, oh, my childhood was great. But I had some, I have some ways to help him get deeper than that. And then he had this moment where he said, uh, the, qu- the question in this process is what this reminds me of, the feeling, what the feeling reminds me of from being a kid. And all of a sudden he said, oh my gosh. And he kind of jumped up and said, how can I be so successful in my life, in my work? Because this guy is really successful in his own right and not know that I have been controlled by this feeling of inadequacy with my brother, and then he started laughing. He said, "I think I married my brother." Now mm. it's not that the woman is, is his brother, but that 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 the dynamic, the situation, what that does is it reminds him of that feeling he had, and so that he stopped looking at what he is good at and how he how he in himself is a champ in his own way. All he could see was the way his wife got the kudos. And so that's the way that Amago plays out, that he, he had this, this moment where he realized he was feeling exactly the same as he did as a kid. You know, an, another. would you like another example?
1: Let's take a stop right here for a commercial break, and then we will get back to that part of the conversation. Perception really is everything, and relationship is oftentimes the most beautiful place for personal growth and self-development. It gives us the opportunity to see how we look at life, how we experience it, and it allows us to have an individual across from us that we love that shows us the very things that will trigger us. When those triggers show up, it's an opportunity to go back to the center. Learning to love is, the, is well is the crowning achievement of life. Love helps us heal from trauma to bear unimaginable burdens. As neurobiological research has taught us, Love alters the pathways of the brain, strengthens the immune system, and contributes to healthy heart and organ functions. Universally, love is the key to our continuation as a species. Individually, love unlocks our greatest potential. I invite you to discover Linda, off, Linda Carroll, who is the author of Love Cycles. She's a couples therapist for over 30 years and certified in transpersonal psychology, homogotherapy, and is a master teacher in pairs therapy. She lives in Oregon and offers workshops around the country and is a frequent speaker at Rancho La Puerta in Tocada, Mexico. You can visit her at lindacarroll.com. And again, the book is Love Cycles, The Five Essential Stages of Lasting Love. I also invite you to visit my website, imsimmering.com. 1111 Magazine is relaunching with brand-new issues starting in January packed full of information to support you on your growth of personal self-realization and living the life of your dreams. We'll be right back with Linda Carroll.
0: The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Discovering the Heart and Stepping into Conscious Living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Why spiritual spelunking? Why tending to our inner garden? Why devoting time to inner being when so much external doing calls upon us? An Indian sage put it wisely. Your own self-realization is the greatest service you can render the world. Join host Gil Asselin as he serves as both guide and companion on the journey within. Nurturing the spiritual spelunker in all of us can be heard every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Definitely connect at IamSimran.com for all archived segments
1: of 1111 Talk Radio in addition to the new 1111 Magazine and any mentoring or online courses that I offer. That's IamSimran.com. Practicing love involves a set of skills, skills we explore in depth in the book, Love Cycles, by Linda Carroll. It involves a commitment to play, to enjoy and spend time together in connection, Finally, the stages of love do not end at wholehearted loving, but rather than the acceptance, rather the acceptance of the stages that form a spiral, different ages and stages continue to bring new gifts and fresh challenges. Over time, you become more flexible and willing to accept the natural impermanence of relationship seasons. The different stages of love that Linda Carroll expresses through her book, Love Cycles, allows you to understand that it's comprised of five distinct stages. The merge, the beginning romance of which you experience your partner is thoroughly delightful, even perfect, that soulmate. Doubt and denial, settling into more predictable routines with your partner, beginning to see your lover in a new, less flattering light. Disillusionment, your conflicts have grown and become magnified, and many partners enter all-out power struggles characterized by self-protective strategies and grudge-bearing. Decision, it's the phase that couples arrive at where there's crisis and they're forced to make a decision about the future of their relationship. And finally, wholehearted loving. The couple chooses to work hard on the relationship and embrace both the difficulty and the possibility of this transformational path. Uh, you can connect with Linda Carroll at lindaacarroll.com, And that is her book, Love Cycles. The Five Essential Stages of Lasting Love. Welcome back, Linda. We were talking about the different stages, and I'd like to go into, you you briefly discussed the merge. And I want to know, you know, what happens when we've moved beyond the merge? How do you tell that we've shifted from stage one to stage two, which is doubt and denial?
2: Well, I doubt into the the second stage. We can tell because we start to get irritated. We begin to think things like we begin to wonder, uh, where did it go? Where's the magic? And we start to realize that the other person isn't just like us. That we we begin to have those those small power struggles and they're very small in the beginning usually not always but most of the time they're they're small or we start to notice things that annoy us or irritate us. Of course we don't notice things that annoy or irritate our partner. That's one of the skills. I call that a skill to realize that we each are as annoying as the person we're with. But that's <laughs> an advanced skill. Um <laughs> And, and 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 we start to disagree about things in ways that we feel we're starting to feel maybe kind of smothered or overtaken um, and and then we we and I call it doubt and denial because first we doubt. Like maybe this wasn 't the right person, maybe something's wrong, and we see the world full of happy couples, of course at this at this time, we look around, our friends never fight, they never seem to argue. We wonder what 's wrong with us because we don't have this very normalized in our culture. You know what we promote in our culture what 's promoted is the idea that being in the merge is what love is and then we deny it because it's so painful. No, 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 everything's wonderful, everything's perfect. And it's like this duality between it's all perfect or it's bad. And that and and that does not come for most people gracefully. It really comes as a thud when we realize that there really are things that aren't going to work out between us very well. Let me tell you a fascinating statistic, and this, has been, this yeah. is a statistic that has been done in so many different ways. It comes out the same, that if you look at couples who thrive and couples who dive, like they're on a continuum, right? And, and all of the couples, except people who have extraordinary problems, but they're, they're, that's a different discussion. Most people who have normal problems with life and who are together have 10 unresolvable issues. They will never get fixed. There are things that they will disagree about forever. And that not only that, but on all the couples on this continuum, they all have the same ten unresolvable issues. Isn't that incredible?
1: Wow. 10 of wow. That.
2: It's just, And that they're the same ones. The difference between people who thrive and people who dive are how they manage the conflict. So in other words, people who are really reporting feeling satisfied and grateful in relationships and people who are miserable and and want out and tortured and think they're with the wrong person they have the same problems and the difference is how, what do we do with the problem now after a while those problems can escalate with the couples that don't do well so that they be so that the reactions to the problems in themselves, become new problems like ongoing jealousy or criticism, or nagging, or unhappiness, blaming. Those are the kinds of things that come from this. But the re- initial problems and the the feeling of distress about them happen to everybody. What do you? Th- I bet you know what some of those are. I bet you can guess. Every, I mean, it's the same ones we all have. Of course, and that's what
1: was really powerful about the book, too, because as you write the story, particularly Charlie and Megan's story, it's so easy to find yourself in different places in that story because these really are the common problems that every relationship goes through, you know, primarily some of the romantic relationships, but even relationships in general. And you talk about six essential skills that people need as they move through relationships, and so I want to focus in on number two, which is listening without barriers, because oftentimes communication is that fault line that tends to widen and widen and widen where we find ourselves talking at people rather than talking with people, and we're not really listening to to them nor internally what our heart is telling us, our minds kind of take over, so talk a little bit about uh, listening without barriers and what listening really means in a relationship, whether it's romantic, whether it's something that's a social um, outward relationship, whether it's a sibling relationship, that seems to be a really key point. I will, but first I want to just emphasize what you say,
2: is that friends go through this. We go through this with coworkers and neighbors and certainly family. The stages go, they're, they're not just about lover relationships. They're about all our relationships. Listening is hard it's hard you know one of the things that many relationship books will say is you need to speak what your truth is, you need to listen but they don't tell you how to do it and Mm. listening is such a skill and so one of the things that, that happens when we listen is that we have feelings about what the other person is saying especially if they're talking about a feeling or a response they have to something about us and so it's very very hard to listen to the, to this other person when defend, we're feeling defensive, or we're trying to get our own way, we're trying to to make a, um, a we w- we want to try to make our point rather than listen. So one of the things that in in the Imago work that I teach is we have this process where we learn people we teach people to listen by a teaching them how to mirror each other so that they're not just, uh, so that you can get, let's see, you're going to have 15 minutes and I'm going to cross a bridge from my world to yours to try to really understand what this is like for you. Can I give you an example of this?
1: Yes, please do, Linda, so people can better understand.
2: Okay, so one day we were out walking, my husband and I, we've had, had four dogs in our lives, and the last dog was dying, and my husband is a vet, said to me, you know, I'm really thinking we need to take a time off without dogs. And my first response to him was, Are you, you've got to be kidding. I won't do that. There's no way. You know, what part of the house will you live in without your dog? I mean, I, because I was so triggered about it, about my dog dying and feeling so distressed that as soon as he said that, I felt threatened. And over the, over the year, our dog was old and now, and then she died a year later. But over that year, we fortunately have better skills than we showed on that trail walk. And we really sat down and talked about it. And I, I had to make myself say, what what, it is, what is it for you not wanting a dog? And he explained he's a vet. He works with sick dogs all the time. This last dog that was dying was just breaking his heart. He'd never been without a dog. And he had lots and lots of reasons he just wanted a break. He wasn't saying no dog ever. And then I began to think about what it was for me that he listened to me about, well, what is it, why do you really want a dog? What, what What's threatening about having a break? And as we begin to understand each other's point of view, we begin to have empathy for each other. And what was impossible on that first conversation became, a, a, so we worked out a solution together over the time. And... Um, and our dog's been dead for four months and we and one of the solutions that we worked out was we would take our kids' dogs and we would sort of co parent with, with people that we love when they were gone to feel having a dog again without the commit without the total commitment of having a dog. And anyway I won't go into all of it, but we've worked out lots about it and gotten to the place where if a dog finds us we're both in agreement. But it took it was that first experience of talking about it where I was just so flooded I felt so distressed that I couldn't hear him. And this happens with couples all the time. I mean, the big ones are I want a child, you don't. But there are little things, too, where listening means I have to put aside my feelings and my reactions to try to see the world from your point of view. And one of the most important things that that I think that for people to understand is that my listening to you and even validating what you're saying, that it somehow makes sense that you'd feel that, even if I don't, is well, is, is an essential part. It's an essential part of the skill. Validating doesn't mean I agree with you. It just means I can understand why you felt abandoned when I went away on Saturday with a friend.
1: It makes sense to me with your history well, it, that... What it, I'm hearing what you say, too, Linda, is that one approach is from the head. That initial reaction place is always from the head. And what we're, when we're really listening, we drop down that 13-inch highway into the heart. And if we're truly listening to another person to truly step into a place of empathy... We have to listen from that place so that we can we get to in touch with where
2: that person is coming from for a minute too, don't we? I mean, it can't be about us. We have to listen from the heart to you. And that means that our own reactions have to be set aside for a few minutes while we're listening, because when people reach empathy for each other, the fight is over. There's nowhere yes. to go. You just feel compassion, but it's work to get there and it 's also when we 're feeling defensive if our partner is saying they're upset with something about us to listen for that grain of truth without immediately defending is another essential skill
1: so as i 'm going to jump to another section of the book there's definitely those six skills are really really powerful and then you move to a place where you talk about the laws and the blues, and I know in my own work i 'm always uh, Supporting people that it's really important to allow some of those emotions to kind of come and especially depression is probably the most rampant thing in this country, in the world right now. And we tend to want to quash that and not feel it, but yet it's so important to allow that to, to come forward and to feel it and to understand that it's present and oftentimes the jump board uh, for many things like infidelity or abuse or addictions that then start to take place. So talk a little bit about the blahs and the blues that take place and where we go from there. Okay, well, the blahs and the blues are a little
2: different than than depression because they they happen to everybody, you know, and the blahs, well, the blahs especially happen to everybody. Um, Then then they can turn into the blues. But, you know, life, life has seasons just like relationships, and some of those seasons are sort of blah, you know, wintry. I live in Oregon, and right now it is blah outside. It's not white snow, and it's just gray everywhere, gray and rain. And the laws are putting, you know, paying our bills, doing things that are, um, that are just sort of mindless, feeling too cold to go outside. And, and we don't get enough dopamine, which is ha- happens when we exercise. But it's just really the repetitiveness of life. And you know, the easiest place to place blame for that, rather than to understand this is just this early December, is we can turn that mm. on our partner. Why don't you ever think of anything exciting to do? Here we are another Saturday, just the same. I think the relationship is getting boring. You know, we turn it against the other person often rather than say, this is just a time of life that it's blah. Everything is blah, and so is the relationship. It feels that way. The blah season of relationship is like one of the most unpopular of all because we want excitement, stimulation. If we stay if it's too long in the blahs, we can sink into the blues, and genetic makeup is one of the biggies with depression. You know, it's a but but the the blues are different. They are really feeling depressed, and some people have a tendency towards that, and some people will fall into it once or twice in their life, and it's really horrible. It's isolating. It's painful, everything. One, one of the descriptions of depression is not looking forward to anything. There's no passion when we look ahead. And one of the things I do, I do a lot of telephone coaching with people. One of the things that I, I think is really helpful for people is to understand they're not their depression, and neither is their partner. And when I can help people normalize the depression as not them, they often find a pathway out of it especially when they're blaming it on things like love and work, when it's often not that at all. Oh, I'm not my depression. You know, it starts, they start to get unattached to it a little bit.
1: I am speaking with Linda Carroll, author of Love Cycles, The Five Essential Stages of Lasting Love. Her goal with Love Cycles is to clearly demonstrate how to attain, is to become the best self and share that self joyfully and honestly with another The book moves into also areas of sex and the sensual. The sensual pleasures of our creature selves are available to all of us throughout our lives. Sound, a chorus in song, the vibration of a cello string, or the unexpected voice of a loved one on the other end of the phone. Taste, fresh strawberries, brandy, and chocolate. Touch, the solace of skin upon skin, the softness of a companion animal's fur, the warmth of sand on our bodies at the beach. Sight, a mountain vista, a dogwood in spring, a brilliant sunset. Smell, clean linen, honeysuckle, orchard peaches. Such sensual pleasures transcend age, era, culture, and gender. They're the essence of being human. It's time to dive into your senses and to understand the cycles of love. My author again, Linda Carroll, and you can reach her at lindaacarroll.com. Love Cycles, the five essential stages of lasting love. We'll be right back after this commercial break.
0: Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. If you
1: are an author, a speaker, a coach, an artist, a healer, anyone in the holistic field or someone who simply wants to serve, I invite you to visit, visit the com. This is a collaborative effort of a community of individuals that are launching out a new paradigm for commerce and exchange and collaboration, to create a new state of economy on the planet. It's a beautiful program, a beautiful experience, and it really only requires you to love you because when you love you, you end up loving many, and that ripples out into the world. Again, I invite you to visit visionofoneness.com and take care of yourself as you take care of the rest of the world. I'm with my guest, Linda Carroll, Author of Love Cycles, The Five Essential Stages of Lasting Love. We need skills for many of the important things we do in our lives, driving, practicing our profession, even teaching our dog how to heal. Why do many of us expect the feelings of the merge will carry us into loving relationships? We know from research that although most couples have many of the same troubles, the one difference between those who thrive and those who die are the skills they develop. Over the years, Linda Carroll. Notice six skills that prove necessary to the well-being of any committed relationship. Number one, understanding your part in the trouble. Number two, listening without barriers. Number three, accepting your differences and learning how to collaborate. Number four, making a new move. Number five, nourishing the relationship, especially when you don't feel like it. And number six, keeping your own tank filled. Not surprisingly, these skills tend to build on one another and sometimes to converge. If you're able to keep an open mind, you're more likely to develop the six skills and integrate them all into one masterful resource. This is from the book, Love Cycles. I urge you to visit her at LindaACarroll.com. That's linda com. Welcome back, Linda. As we move along your book, you also talk a little bit about When things take place, whether it is betrayal or other issues that cause us to move into grief or anger and blame, and as I read through that section, I know that so many times a relationship can come to a point where it's over, where it feels like something's dying. It may mean that a person or the people have to actually separate and move their own way, and it may mean that people separate for a period of time to do their own work and then come back together. But it was interesting how this related so much to the process of actually dying. Can you talk a little bit about how sometimes that old relationship has to die for a new one to come into being?
2: Yeah, I can. I often will say to couples, your relationship is over, which kind of startles them. Your marriage is over. or The relationship is over. And you have to let it go. And if you want to create a new relationship, we can do that.
1: Because I know in the, in the story with Charlie and Megan that you have throughout the book, which is beautifully done, and that's one of the things that I think is so distinct about this book above many others, is you carry uh, through a relationship between Charlie and Megan, showing from the beginning towards the end and how they go through all of these different stages. And you sat them down and actually said this to them in their sessions, where they both were like, no, no, we want to stay together, we want to stay together, this isn't over. But you really meant... Something compl- entirely different than what they had interpreted. So now I'm going to let you continue what you were going to say because I do no, want to right. that piece. No, that's right. Because
2: the first contract, you know, how often do we renew our contracts in our jobs? I think we need to renew them often. And in a, re- a relationship, has many components. One is that it is a contract, and the contract of people who are 20, even if it's not one we're conscious of, is very different than the contract of people who are 40 or 50. And and the contract of if we take an affair that we're going to have a monogamous relationship when that's broken that relationship is broken. Now, having said that, some of the best marriages I know come out of heavy, of messes, the worst messes ever, because people decide that they're going to make a new contract and they're going to do everything they know how to do to not ever let that happen again. And they and they do, they do it um and i can talk about what that is if if you if you want me to but we have to let the relationship go and let it turn into something new in the same way that we have a 5 year old i can tell you my kids are all older much older they're far in their lives that 5 year how we are with our with our 5 year old child is is better not be the same as we want to be with our 25 year old child or a 40-year-old child. We have to let relationships change. And women as friends get stuck in this. You know, who we were at 16 is not who we are now. And if we want mm-hmm. the friendship to to carry over, we've got to go through many deaths of that first friendship and let it be born into something new. And we just like, because here's the bottom line, I'm not who I was at 16. I'm not who I was when I met my husband. I'm not who I was when we got married I'm who a person who's gone through many life changes so the relationship has and so is he the relationship has to be different than it was then we have to let that relationship go and redo it to something new
1: that's really um, powerful what you just said and as, as we talk about um, betrayal because that's sometimes something that takes place in the majority of relationships now I think statistics illustrate almost 78% of all relationships will experience at least one betrayal. And when that takes place, it's, it's a very painful experience, um, not just for the person that was betrayed, but you say in the book, it's, it's actually the experience of pain and betrayal to the self that's really taking place, that it, it's, it's that individual having to deal with their own shame and guilt. And that's what kind of has led them out there. I've often said to, to individuals that I mentor and coach that when betrayal or infidelity happens, it really isn't about the other person. It's not about sex. It's not about uh, anything other than a call for love. It's truly someone that is in pain in their own right. So I want to focus on a paragraph that you wrote here. Soul care means that we continue to live our deepest values even when we are in pain. Can we continue to be generous to our former partner, to wish her well at best, and not wish her harm at least, despite the pain we believe she's caused us? Can we take on an even more difficult challenge, which is to recognize our part in the mess? That's the hard part, especially in a betrayal situation or in a divorce situation. How do we maintain that compassionate, loving presence, that place of still wanting to be generous and kind to this person that we believe has hurt us?
2: Well, first, okay, first of all we we don't do it instantly, and there there and and second of all, I want to be really clear about something For if a person has an affair it, they didn't have that affair because something was wrong with the relationship so so what so that might be a little confusing, it is not ever. You know, my fault if that's what my husband does, or his fault if I do it. It's, I made a choice for whatever reason. We know, interestingly enough, we know that for the majority of people who have affairs, and not people who are, you know, who have frequent affairs, but the majority of people who get in an affair never intended to leave their marriage. Not only that, they weren't unhappy with their marriage. Isn't that an interesting statistic? Mm. They did it for a variety of reasons, but it, but most of them say, oh, no, I didn't want to be out of the relationship. Now, when someone falls in love with someone and it, it's that kind of, an, of, a, of a deep affair, that that is different. I mean, affairs are as different as there are the people that are in them, but the majority of people never intended to be, replace their, their marriage. They wanted more. They got caught in something, um, but that responsibility is on them for doing it but i but the the, the part, when i say we need to see our part of the mess it means that every marriage has big trouble every marriage every relationship has big trouble because humans have big trouble you know just the, just being a human being is a complicated issue and we all bring our troubles and the, the dynamics in the relationship are what we need to work on cleaning up so it's not that i'm responsible for my partner's affair but but once we have decided to recommit and it doesn't happen fast then I have to then look at what I'm doing that can, that is weakening the relationship, or how to make it stronger. Um, but I think that the that the first part about this that, that you asked about is how. Um, wait a minute! Say it, you said it so well. You said it much better than I than I could say it. Is how do we get? How do we keep our heart open? We don't do it fast. Everybody gets a little bit of time to be furious and angry and sad and scared. You know, you don't just, I mean, unless you're the Dalai Lama maybe, which I'm sure not, and he's not married. <laughs> you don't just say, oh, thank you for giving me this opportunity to grow. It doesn't work like that. We have a whole physiological reaction to betrayal, especially to infidelity, and we go through that. But but when do we stop? I see people who are doing it five years later you know, if you and 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 the most powerful thing I ever heard somebody say is, I'm giving up the hatred because I don't like what it's doing to me. So how can we? And if and the and out of besides the betrayal, another kind of betrayal besides the infidelity is when a partner decides they want to leave the relationship and we feel like we're dumped. That that can create as much bitterness as an affair. You know and so I think of it as a spiritual practice really it's like how do I keep remembering that I've got to stay with my own values you can't make you can't turn me into a hater you can't turn me into someone who I don't want to live with in me but it doesn't happen instantly it happens over a period of time and sometimes that's when we really need help Because the natural feeling, it's an instinctive response. When we think something is ours and we feel like it's been taken, we want to strike back. So we have to work with that. So I just want to emphasize that, that this isn't going to happen fast. You know, it's if you have a value about wanting to be peaceful in your own heart... It's a struggle sometimes, never more than when you feel betrayed by a lover. It's a struggle to keep that peace. So there's a journey we have to take to do it. We don't just get there in that first moment unless we're enlightened, and I don't know. I'm sure not.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, and we, you know, the show went by so quickly, and we have just a little bit of time, and it's just a minute, and I want to talk a little bit about the one of the final chapters, which is wholehearted loving, and you speak about the bridges, and the bridges are the way to get to that wholehearted loving, and so in the next minute, Linda, can you just briefly state something that you want people to really know about that, and we'll leave that as the teacher so that they have to go read this book, because I'm telling you all, you need to go pick up Love Cycles by Linda Carroll. So can you share something a little bit about the bridges for us?
2: Okay. I think that the first bridge is to understand that we are, that the most important quality, I'll leave you with this, the most important quality, and this is science-based, between two people is generosity. And for mm. some people, we come into the world and we have a lot. For some people, it's work. It's just not in their nature. But generosity is what lets it thrive. It's what gives the person a break. It's what gives them a break on the messes that we all make. It's it's important in sex. It's important in, in every aspect of our relationship. It's the cultivation of generosity. And I'm not talking about letting yourself be used or heart hurt at all. But I'm talking about a true generosity that comes from well-being That's the skill we need, number one, first of all, to be able to be in a wholehearted relationship.
1: Well, I want to thank you for being on 1111 Talk Radio and sharing so beautifully the story of Charlie and Megan in addition to all of the wisdom that you have in the book, Love Cycles, The Five Essential Stages of Lasting Love. This is by Linda Carroll, and her website is lindaacarroll.com. In Chapter 11, since we are on 1111 Talk Radio, I want to share with you what she writes. She speaks about wholehearted loving and the bridges. In the last chapter, we discussed the inner work required to break down the barriers that shut us down and separate us from ourselves and our partners. To open our hearts again, we begin to build the bridges that will take us toward a wholeness of heart. We fashion these bridges by practicing real acceptance of our partner and ourselves. We construct them out of virtues extolled in the world's spiritual teachings, compassion, humor, humility, gratitude, generosity, and patience. I invite you to explore the bridges to wholehearted loving through reading the book Love Cycles and connecting with Linda Carroll. Until next week, I am Simran. In love, of love, with love, and as love. Be well.